Hello, everyone. Hope you're doing well today. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you are old to the podcast, welcome back. For those of you who have enjoyed listening to these podcasts and messages and who like Lance's books and audios and things, um, you may be very interested to hear that we are releasing an audiobook uh, coming very soon. We don't have the exact release date yet, but it's in its final stages of being completed. And so we'll have that release date out for you very soon. So keep an eye out for that. Keep an ear out for that. I personally love audiobooks. They're like the only way I can read any books at all because I don't ever feel like I can sit down and read a book for over 20 minutes. So I just pop an audiobook on in the car and it's good to go for like an hour and I'm able to finish a lot of books that way. So I'm really excited about this project. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it as well. The narrator is awesome. His name is Matt Jamie. He's from England. So he's got that British accent just like Mr. Lance. If you all have been enjoying this podcast, make sure to share it with your friends. Make sure to share it on social media and to subscribe and leave reviews and do all those kinds of uh, things that influencers will always ask you to do. Um, it actually does help us out a lot to be able to share Lance's messages with other people and to be seen by more people who haven't heard of Lance before, which is cool. So with all of that being said, let's get into it. You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on this ministry, visit lancelambert.org. Today, we will be listening to a message Lance gave called Delight Thyself in the Lord, a phrase which comes from the 37th Psalm. In this episode, he will share the five commands given in the Psalm and explain how we can delight ourselves in the Lord. Let's listen. You will turn to the 37th Psalm. To the 37th Psalm. We will read the first seven verses of this wonderful psalm. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against them that work unrighteousness, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and whither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. And he will make thy righteousness go forth as the light, and thy justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. This is a wonderful psalm. It was one of the very first psalms ever given to me when I was saved. And I didn't know my Bible at all and had no Old Testament to read. 
but I often went round the corner to um, uh, a lady that I knew as aunt, uh, Swedish aunt, she was Swedish, and she was a great woman of prayer and faith. And I used to go round there for prayer often, and I remember that she used to get me to learn off, to learn by heart a psalm a week. This was when I did get a Bible. But before then, I remember her telling me that whenever one was in trouble, one ought to turn to the 37th psalm. And I used to think how remarkable that is. Uh, to turn to something as old, because when you're younger, I don't know, I mean, people who are 30 seem to be ancient uh, when you're younger, and uh, things that belong uh, to the past, particularly, seem to be even almost prehistoric. And I used to think it was amazing that contemporary people would turn to a psalm, which to me uh, seemed to be almost prehistoric, and from it get real comfort and strength. But through the years, I not only later, a year later when I had my own Bible, learnt this psalm off by heart, but all through the years I have put it to the test and found that it really is a psalm for trouble. But it's much more than a psalm for trouble. I think we have here a, a recipe, um, if that doesn't devalue the meaning of the psalm, a recipe for a true Christian life. Or, if you like, a recipe for fulfilled Christian service. Or, if you like, a recipe for any company of God's children who would see the will of God fulfilled. We have here, as far as I can see, five commands. And here is the first. Trust in the Lord and do good. It is interesting that the very first thing that the psalmist says that the Lord, as it were, through his lips commands us to do is to trust in the Lord and do good. For faith is the foundation of everything. And if we cannot trust, we shall very shortly not be able to worship. For delighting yourself in the Lord comes out of first trusting in the Lord. Dwelling in the land comes out of trusting in the Lord. The first and foremost thing is a living faith. Trust in the Lord and do good. We sometimes forget that, that the command is not only faith but works. Works that are the expression of a living faith. We are, not, we are not only to trust in the Lord, but we are also to do good. In the, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, in verse 4 and 5, we read these words, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. 
lean not upon my own understanding. We all have our own understanding of everything. And it is the most natural thing in the whole world to trust in the Lord, leaning upon our own understanding. In other words, we've got our opinion, our conception, even of biblical things. And when we trust the Lord, we trust the Lord in the context of our own conceptions and opinions. There are certain things the Lord would never do or couldn't do in our estimation uh, because we have certain opinions, we have certain uh, conceptions. But if we want to know the Lord directing our paths, the first thing we must do is to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not upon our own understanding. It doesn't say we shouldn't have our own understanding. It says we shouldn't lean upon it. If we're going to lean upon anything, let's lean upon the Lord, not upon our own understanding. Then we shall always be safe. And there's a third thing here in this little proverb. It says this, um, uh, in all thy ways acknowledge him, not in 50% of your ways, nor 75% of your ways, nor in 95% of your ways, not even in 99% of your ways, but in all your ways acknowledge him. What does it mean to acknowledge the Lord? You can only really acknowledge the Lord if you're going to trust him. If you don't trust the Lord, you will lean upon your own understanding. Do you get it? Why do we all automatically lean upon our own understanding? Because we believe that the only person who is infallible is ourselves. Everyone else we feel will fail, but not ourselves. And we have this warped idea that somehow or other the Lord might let us down. So we lean upon our own understanding. Why don't we acknowledge the Lord in all our ways? Why are there sometimes ways in our lives which are hidden from the Lord? At least we think, we try to hide them from the Lord. We won't be open about it. We won't come out into the open. We won't bring the whole thing out. We will bring 75% of our ways out into the open and say, Lord, I acknowledge thee as Lord in this way and this way and this way and this way. But there are certain ways that we can't get out. Because deep, deep down we fear that the Lord will not give us what we understand to be good for us. In other words, we're leaning upon our own understanding. Do you understand? We're leaning upon our own understanding. And because of that, we can't acknowledge the Lord in all our ways. But the promise is this. If we trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not lean upon our own understanding, if we in all our ways acknowledge him, he will direct our paths. Or another way of, of translating that is he will make our path plain. He will give us a plain, clear path. Trust in the Lord. I have never known anyone really be joyful or happy or have peace who doesn't trust in the Lord. Every Christian who's neurotic has stopped trusting somewhere along the line. Uh, every one of us, when we uh, get into that joyless, miserable, pressurized existence, somewhere or other, we've ceased to trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord and do good. There's so much we could say about this first one because it is foundational to all the others. 
But you see, we need a living faith, and the only way we shall ever get a living faith is by looking unto Jesus. We never get faith by looking in our hearts and inspecting our faith. I suppose most of you have found that out, but I will say it for the sake of those of you who are young in the Lord. If you look inside and say, where is my faith? And then you sort of go on a hunt for it. And finally you corner your faith, and you sort of neck it. And then you start to inspect your faith. And then you say, it's rather small. It ought to be greater than that. I can't do anything with faith as small as that. So you begin to say, Lord, give me more faith. Give me more faith. And you sort of inspect it, rather like the person who plants a hyacinth bulb and then decides that because nothing is appearing, they dig it up to have a look. And then replant it when they see that there is one little shoot. They say, well, that's not enough to keep it alive. We'll put it back again. And next day you dig it again to see if the shoot up again to see if the shoot has grown a little longer of course you killed the bulb you go on digging it up every other day to have a look to see if it's alive and kicking um, the fact is that it will die now that's the same with faith you see when we look in at faith and we say I must have more faith and you get so faith conscious and faith centered that in the end your faith your faith disappears and you become a Christian agnostic now there are thousands of Christian agnostics. You see, they bleed the Bible from cover to cover, and yet at the same time they have tremendous number of excuses as to why it doesn't apply to them. Oh, well, I don't think that that could possibly happen. Well, not to me anyway. We become Christian agnostics, you see, um, uh, because we, we, we feel we cannot deny everything. We know that the Lord is a deep down there's a, in our spirit there is, there is a, a, a knowledge that the Lord is. But uh, we cannot, we cannot <coughs> trust fully. Faith never comes by looking inside. Faith always comes with a fresh vision of our Lord. For it says in Hebrews 12, looking unto him who is the author and perfecter of our faith. When we look unto Jesus, we get faith. Because as we look unto him, so quite immediately, as we see his greatness and his majesty and his authority and his mercy and his faithfulness, then our problems disappear almost. They're still there in actual fact. But the fact is that suddenly we see that our problem, the size of our problem and the size of our Lord are quite different. Our Lord is much bigger than our problem. When I look at the problem and at my faith, all I see is the problem growing larger and my faith growing smaller. But when I look at the Lord and really get filled with a vision of Him, then my problems fall into their right place. So it was with Peter, as I've often told you, when he walked on the sea, he saw the Lord, and when the Lord spoke to him, he said, is it, is it you, Master? And the Lord said, it is me. Then he said, tell me to come to you. And the Lord said, come. And with that one word, come, 
and a vision of the Lord in a storm-tossed sea, Peter climbed over the side of the boat and started to walk on the waves. Now if it had been a lovely placid sort of sea, and there was the Lord standing there in a vision of loveliness, saying, come, Peter, I could imagine that perhaps Peter would have stepped on the water, wondering, well, I suppose the Lord's there, maybe this water will be like glass, and I shall step on it, like ice, as it were, over the... But it was a storm-tossed sea with a great wind. It didn't deter Peter at all. He'd seen the Lord and got the word of the Lord. And you see, these two things are essential to a living faith. When we see the Lord and we hear the word of the Lord to us, faith immediately springs into action. Faith is quite spontaneous. It's not mechanical. Quite spontaneous. Comes from seeing the Lord. Because faith is not something in us naturally. It is the gift of God. So it comes to us. As we see the Lord, it comes into us so that we are enabled to do the will of God. Do you understand? We can't, do it. We can't even do the will of God apart from him. But once we see the Lord, faith is gifted to us. And in that moment, we can do what God says. Now, Peter did exactly that, but somewhere along the line, he got his eyes off the Lord. Either a great wave came between him, and as he went down into the sort of um, dip, and the wave went up between him and the Lord, suddenly he thought, my goodness, what enormous wave. It says he saw the waves, and he heard the wind. I suppose the wind was howling. Now he couldn't see the Lord and he couldn't hear the word of the Lord. And in that moment, he suddenly said, where's my faith? Have I got faith enough for this? And he decided, in a split instant of time, that he hadn't got faith enough for those waves and winds. And he began to sink. And immediately the Lord got hold of him and said, wherefore did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith and pulled him up. Now that's just like you and me. You see, so often when the Lord speaks to us, we trust in the Lord and we start to move into the center of his will and we do the impossible through the grace of God. We start to live an impossible life. But then at some point or another, we, we suddenly get our eyes off the Lord. It happens to all of us. We see the waves, we hear the wind, and in that moment we think, now what about my faith? What about my faith? And we look inside. We can't even see the Lord now. The waves and the wind have done their job. We are looking inside for our faith as to whether we've got enough faith to overcome both waves and wind. And we think. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And should for one moment a wave come between you and the Lord, keep your eyes fixedly in that direction, for surely you shall ride a crest of the wave and you'll see him again. And then you'll get the faith to go on. So just learn how to ride the waves. And keep your eye on the Lord. There's bound to come times in your life when things will come between you and the Lord for an instant or two. But never let the enemy deflect and divert your eye, your gaze from your Lord onto yourself or to others. Because in that moment, you're finished. Once you look at the circumstances, or you look at yourself, or your amount of faith, you're finished. Trust in the Lord and do good. 
It's the only way to do real, true good is to trust in the Lord. Here's the first thing. Second thing is, dwell in the land. Now some of you will have, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. This is a, a little difficult here. But it is really, dwell in the land. Dwell in the land, and truly you shall be fed. Or it is quite right to be able to say, and uh, feed on his faithfulness. There are a variety of ways in which this can be translated. But let's take this first. Dwell in the land. Here is the second thing if we are going to know a Christian life. We must dwell in the land. Now what is the land? The land is Christ. The land is Christ. All the fullness of provision which is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must learn to dwell in the land, not visit the land. Some people go on tours on this matter. They sort of go on sort of spiritual tours. They go through the land on a visit. Or they have a wonderful time. They've been to a convention and they've got really full of everything. And they come back absolutely bursting with life. But it's only a tour. They're back in the desert. Having gone on their little tour, they're back sort of amongst the factory chimneys again. Um, that they've gone on their lovely sort of Caribbean cruise, and then they're back. The Lord doesn't say, take a tour in the land and feed on his faithfulness. He doesn't say, take a tour in the land and sort of get stocked up uh, for what's going to happen. He says, dwell in the land. Dwell in it. Abraham learnt this lesson. Either the Lord said to him that he would give him a land. And he went. And you know, he stayed and the Lord fed him. He knew what it was to feed on the Lord's faithfulness. He knew what it was to depend from, as it were, week to week, month to month upon the sustenance of the Lord. For he owned nothing on that land. When he wanted to bury his wife, he had to buy a plot of ground in Hebron to bury her. And then there came famine. And in that famine he stuck it out for a while trusting the Lord. And then after a while he thought, well now, are we being stupid? People coming up from Egypt was their goodness. There's plenty down in Egypt. And so I suppose Sarah said, we've got enough for a few more meals, Abraham. What are we going to do? And I suppose they had a good old talk about it. Now, I don't know whether I'm being unfair to Sarah to think that she might have suggested going down uh, to Egypt. I don't know who made the suggestion, but somewhere in the family it came up. What about Egypt? Look, they've got plenty down. After all, we're not disobeying the Lord. We've got to stay alive. And the Lord said to you, Abraham, that in your seed shall all, uh, shall all the, the families of the earth be blessed. Now then, Abraham, either you're going to die and there won't be a seed, or you use your common sense and keep alive and there will be a seed. I mean, the Lord will be able to fulfill his promise if you use your common sense. And so Abraham used that very rare commodity, common sense. He mixed it with unbelief, well and truly, and came out with an extraordinary dish. And down he went to Egypt to see if he could um, uh, help the Lord in keeping him alive. He got into an awful mess. On the way down to it, he suddenly realized how beautiful Sarah was. And he said, well now, Sarah, this is going to be a little bit of a problem. You better, we better say, you say, you're my sister. This wasn't wholly untrue because she was a very far removed cousin. Uh, so, saints never tell outright lies. 
they, they always just push to do something which is just, just a little bit of truth in it. And so you can sort of say it. So here he comes, and into the land he comes, and he says, now Sarah, now do, do, do what I say. Say you're, you're, you're my sister, and all will be well. Uh, otherwise they may kill me and take you, you're so beautiful. But of course, what he never thought about, and unbelief is so incredibly stupid. Um, we always think that we're doing the wise thing, the common sense thing, but in actual fact, our common sense is so limited when it comes to it, and so stupid. You see what exa exactly what he feared happened. Pharaoh heard about Sarah's beauty and thought, my goodness me, what a lovely woman. Well, um, and he inquired and found that it was Abraham's sister. My word, he's not married. So he set off straight away in motion the whole thing going, sent the go-between and everybody else, and Abraham must have cooked for a while in his own stew. He thought, oh... And he went through with it. Isn't it incredible? He, he must have gone through agony, for he loved Sarah. He must have gone through anguish, the poor man. But he went through with it. Of course, the Lord was smiling all the time. In one way, I mean, the Lord's no part, uh, a partner to our sin, but the Lord has great humor. And uh, he took care of Sarah, of course. A terrible trouble started in Pharaoh's house. He asked the magicians, and they sort of all got going. And uh, they came up with the thing that uh, this woman who's in your thing is a married woman. And so Pharaoh got to Abraham and said, what have you done? Why have you done this to me and brought this curse upon my whole house? He didn't kill Abraham, as Abraham no doubt must have thought he was going to be. He was going to be uh, sentenced to death. He got out. But you see, the Lord had said, dwell in the land. Now, Elijah never made this mistake. Later on, when famine came in Elijah's day, Elijah stayed and ravens fed him at the brook Cherith. And the water never failed, not until God said it's time to move. You've got to move, Elijah, now. The book's going to dry up. And the ravens will stop feeding you. But you see, God, uh, dear Abraham could have added that to his experience. Think of that. Right back in Genesis, we would have had a story about her ravens coming and feeding not only Abraham, but Sarah and the whole family. And then we would have all had something more to say about uh, Abraham's life. But he did not dwell in the land. We must learn this lesson. We have been given everything in Christ and nothing outside of Christ. And we have to learn the simple lesson of exploiting all by faith, all that is ours in Christ, the fullness that is ours in Christ, those unsearchable riches, that grace added upon grace, life more abundant, joy unspeakable and full of glory, peace which passes understanding, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything's in Christ. It's all in Christ. That tremendous anointing of the Holy Spirit, it's in Christ. He is the one who baptizes us with the Spirit, in the Spirit. He is the one that anoints us. It's all in Christ. So we go in Christ, dwell in the land. Don't just visit the land. Don't just go for a tour around it and out again. And don't just go right through it and out the other side. Come to dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Truly you shall know the faithfulness of God in this matter. You shall be fed. Even when famine comes, God will keep you. Norman Grubb said years ago, I remember, um, uh, God has promised that your bread shall not fail. He never promised butter or jam. 
He said, your bread shall not fail. And if you come right down to the last degree, God will faithfully keep his word. Your bread shall not fail, even if the ravens have to bring it. Of course, some have said to me quite rightly that it takes as much faith to, to receive food from, and eat it from ravens uh, uh, as if because they're not exactly clean birds. Uh, that is very true. But it's faith all round, isn't it? Dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. But let's just swiftly go on to the third thing. And now we come to this. When we know what it is to trust in the Lord, and when we know what it is to dwell in the land, here's the third thing, worship. Now the highest form of worship is delight. It is a tremendous thing when a person worships the Lord, uh, gritting their teeth. I sometimes feel sorry for our Lord, and I'm not being facetious, but I sometimes feel sorry for our Lord when sometimes he knows very well it costs us to praise him sometimes when we're going through it, and it means a lot to him. But I am sorry when all the way through, or whatever he gets, is just simply, well, Lord, I'm here to praise thee. <laughs> What a wonderful thing it must be to the Lord when someone says, Lord, I delight in thee. I absolutely delight in thee. And here is an extraordinary promise, which is given in no other connection. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. That is the most incredible promise. Shall I tell you why? Here's something which is just pure divine psychology. The Lord knows that when a person gets to the place where they can delight in him, he can surely give them the desires of their heart. For anyone else who so wants the desires of their heart are eating them up, they can't delight in the Lord. You get it? They just can't delight in the Lord. Because there's the desire that their heart are so powerful and so strong. They're just eating them up. And they sort of, all they can do is grit their teeth and sort of say, Lord, I'm going to praise you this morning. It's costing me a tremendous amount to praise you, Lord. But here it is. Thank you for saving me. And that's all it ever is. There's no, there's no sort of, Lord, you're wonderful for what you are. Your character, what you are. Not just what you've done, but what you are. The Lord knows this, that when we can delight ourselves in the Lord, be delighted. What a wonderful thing delight is. As we get older, we tend, especially the English, tend to feel that delight is something that belongs to immaturity. That you must never be delighted. That's not mature. Only little children get delighted. They see a bauble on the tree. And round and round they go, absolutely delighted. You can see their face lit up, lit up with delight. Or when someone gets a present, you see, doesn't even say thank you. They're so delighted to be undoing the parcel. There's the whole child is full of the, how, how the Lord loves us. He just wants us to delight ourselves in him. To be so absolutely enraptured at what we're discovering about our Lord, about his ways, about what he is. When we get there, God says, he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. I think that is an amazing thing. He doesn't say, you shall see the fulfillment of his will. 
which would have been very wonderful. But the desires of your heart, desires of your heart, worship. No one is ever really living a happy or fulfilled Christian life or knowing joy unspeakable in the service of God who doesn't know what it is to delight in the Lord. To really delight in the Lord. And then the fourth thing, commit thy way unto the Lord and he will, uh, uh, trust also in him and he will bring it to pass. Commit thy way unto the Lord. This is something a little more than trusting. You see, it says trust also in him. But committing thy way unto the Lord, you will see some of you in your margin, you have roll your way upon the Lord. That's literally what it is in Hebrew. Just push your whole thing. Roll it unto the Lord. Have you got a burden? Someone sort of um, has charging you with something which isn't true or blackening your reputation or something else like that? Well, roll the whole thing upon the Lord. You know that lovely word, casting all thy care upon him. The word, casting, because it's in the good old authorized version, we tend to think of it like sort of gently sort of tossing our care. Uh, casting thy care upon the Lord. But the word is, hurl your care upon the Lord. Hurl it, get rid of it. Don't, don't let it eat you up. Don't let it destroy you. Hurl it on the Lord. Roll your way upon the Lord. Commit your way unto the Lord. Open up to the Lord on these things. Don't just sort of be sort of all very delicate and refined about this matter. When these things come to you, they will either dest destroy you or make you. One old divine commenting on this very scripture said, you take care of your good name, God will take, you take care of your good conscience, God will take care of your good name. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. And he will make thy righteousness to go forth as the light and thy justice as the noonday. In the end, you may have to wait a long, long time, but God vindicates completely and fully those who refuse to fight for themselves. If you will lay down your arms and commit your way unto the Lord, rolling the whole thing upon him, he will bring it to pass. And he will bring forth your righteousness uh, as the light and your justice as the noon day. And the fifth thing is very simple. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And the word rest is really a be silent. Do you know that there is a time when faith makes you pray? And there's another time when faith makes you pray. And there is another time when faith makes you silent. Rest in the Lord. There is a time for silence. Uh, Ecclesiastes puts it this way, there is a time to speak and a time to be silent. Rest in the Lord. Do you know what it is to rest in the Lord? having fought a battle over something, having got right through, having worshipped the Lord, having committed the whole thing to the Lord, do you know what it is to rest in the Lord? 
and to wait patiently for him, not in a passive kind of way, but a positive resting in the Lord. Maybe this is the thing we all find, I find, the most difficult of all, to rest in the Lord. One feels that unless one's continually at the Lord, he won't be doing it. You know the kind of thing we feel that we've got to nag the Lord. You don't. Now there's a place in Scripture for importunity. When we go on and on and on and on, but all for that spiritual sensitivity to know when we should not go on anymore, but shut up. For this is really what it says, uh, basically. Um, Shut up. Be silent to the Lord. Just shut up. There's a time, there comes a time when we have to be silent, where, where the Lord says, no more of that now. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Five things. Trust in the Lord. Dwell in the land. Delight thyself in the Lord. Commit thy way unto him. Rest in the Lord. May he help us. Lord, we do pray that thou would apply this word to every one of our hearts in the way that we need it. Some of us may need one thing, others another, but Lord, thou knowest, and we ask thee that thou would take thy word and make it real to every one of us in our own circumstances and our own lives. O oh, Father, we pray this Uh, that we may all live to thy glory and express thy beauty. Dear Lord, it says somewhere in thy word about being like open letters read of all men. We pray that we might be like that, Lord, and that others seeing thee in us may find thee. We pray the same for our Christian lives, for our service, and for our life together as thy people, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. May we all learn how to dwell in the land and how to delight ourselves in the Lord. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.